0: Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, so today we're going to continue reading The Pesky Kids 4, Near Extinction, and we're now up to Chapter 9, Rugby. All right, here we go. By the time the rugby match came around, the whole thing seemed ridiculous. April was delighted by the challenge. She had stayed up late each night studying the rules and strategies of the game but when they got to the field and they saw the boys from Bilgon get off the bus, it was farcical. The boys weren't twice April's size, they were three or four times her size. There's no way they are under 18, said Finn, watching a six-foot-four, stocky player lumber down the bus steps, the bus lurching under his weight. They don't have to be, said April, they just have to still be at high school. They're probably so brain-dead they'll still be there till they're 50. The big boy turned and looked at April. She had said it loudly enough for everyone to hear. What are you looking at? asked April. I'm good at maths, protested the large boy. Good, said April. You'll be able to add up all your brain cells. She held up her hand and counted off on her fingers. One, two. Nice and easy. The big boy's friends grabbed him by the elbow and pulled him away. The Bilgong players shuffled off to their team's area. "'You don't have to do this,' said Joe, taking April aside. "'Yeah, I do,' said April. "'You heard Maynard. "'I have to go on the excursion or else.' "'But this is... Joe struggled to get the words out. "'It's crazy, I know,' said April, "'but I don't want to get shoved in a van and moved somewhere else again.' "'You hate Currawong,' Joe reminded her. "'No, I don't,' said April. "'You say you do all the time,' said Joe. When have you ever listened to anything I say? asked April. She whacked Joe upside the head as she said this, but it barely hurt, so Joe knew it was her version of a gesture of affection. We can all find another way of keeping Maynard happy, said Joe, that doesn't involve rugby. But it won't be as fun as this, said April, popping in her mouth guard. I'm looking forward to being allowed to slam people for once. The referee blew his whistle and the players jogged onto the field. She'll be all right Loretta assured Joe, wandering over with Pumpkin in her arms. The referee won't let them actually kill her. I know, said Joe, but what if she kills the referee? Pumpkin barked happily at the idea. It turns out Joe had nothing to worry about. April was naturally brilliant at rugby. She had never played a team sport before, so no one had ever noticed that she could run like the wind. She could also dodge and swerve like an acrobat, and she had endless depths of energy. As a result, there was not nearly as much physical contact as she would have liked. Every time she got hold of the ball, the opposition couldn't get hold of her. Admittedly, April wasn't very good at tackling because she weighed so little, but she was tenacious. Once she grabbed hold of another player, she kept hold – they might keep running, but eventually she would slide all the way down to their feet and she'd pull off anything she could grab along the way. Twice, opposition players abandoned their sprint for the try line because April had a hold of their shorts and was running in the opposite direction. At the end of 80 minutes, Karawang had won its first match in two seasons. April had not been penalised once. They'd even tried to make a man of the match until she protested and insisted that the award should be renamed Woman of the Match because now that she was in the team, none of them were man enough to win it. The one injury April got was when the final whistle blew and Mr Popov ran onto the field to congratulate his team. He was so pleased with April, he slapped her on the back a little too hard and knocked her face first into a muddy puddle. Joe wasn't far behind. He pulled April out of the mud. "'Are you okay? he asked." April took out her mouth guard. Her teeth gleamed white, the only clean part of her. I told you I'd be fine, said April. Looks like I'm going to get to see those boring old dinosaurs after all. Okay, that's the end of chapter nine. Let's move on to chapter ten. We're going on a dinosaur hunt. Joe could not wait for Dad and Ingrid to get back. Being in charge was every bit as horrible as he had expected. It had been the longest three days of his life. There was so much to worry about, and so much to do. A regular school day was bad enough, but now he had to get them all ready for the school excursion. He'd had to pack the lunches and make sure their uniforms were clean, never easy in April's case, but the hardest part was getting them out of bed. The bus was leaving at seven o'clock, so they had to get up at six o'clock to get ready and ride their bicycles into town. They were just about to step out the front door when Loretta revealed that she didn't own a bicycle. How are you going to get to school then? demanded April. You can't expect Joe to double dink you the whole way. I'll be fine, said Loretta. I'll ride, just not a bicycle. I'll ride Vladimir. Vladimir was Loretta's 17-hand high stallion. But what's Vladimir going to do all day at school while you're on the excursion? asked Finn. Doesn't your school have stables? asked Loretta. St Anthony's Academy had state-of-the-art equestrian facilities, so that was what she was used to. "'Oh, yeah, haven't you seen them?' asked April. "'They're round the back, behind the jacuzzi and next to the jewel house.' "'I'll take that as a no,' said Loretta. "'No matter. It's a lovely day. Vlad can graze on the oval.' "'Mr Popov's head will explode,' said Finn. "'I don't see why,' said Loretta. "'Really, he should be grateful. If Vlad grazes on it, it'll save him having to get it mowed.' And fertilise, said April. Vlad is a big horse. His poos are massive, Pumpkin barked his agreement. He loved rolling in horse poop, especially when it was still warm. The four of them took off into town, Joe, Finn and April pedalling on their bicycles, and Vlad cantering down the nature strip, stopping occasionally to eat the head off a rose or tear out a delicious-looking piece of hedge. Why don't they ever schedule school excursions for the afternoons, grumbled April. Getting everyone up at crack of dawn just means we're all in a bad mood right from the start. You've been in a bad mood for 12 years non-stop, Finn pointed out. Perhaps I wouldn't be if I were well-rested, said April. You sleep like a log, said Finn. You dump abuse on people all day long. Then having got that all out of your system, you close your eyes and sleep like a baby. Yeah, meditation's overrated for calming the mind, agreed April. Telling people what you think as you think it works much better. A beaten-up old sedan was driving down the street towards them. This was unusual. There was never much traffic on their street, and in the morning it was normally all going the opposite way into town. The car was driving right up the middle of the road. That driver is a clown, said Finn. Well, they're not very good at driving, but that's a bit harsh, said Loretta. No, I mean, look, said Finn, peering into the distance. He's got bright pink hair. April squinted at the driver. It's a she, blockhead. Well, then she looks like a clown, said Finn, and her passenger has a lot of tattoos. "Ooh, perhaps they've escaped from a circus, said Loretta, and she's a tattooed lady. Except the passenger is a man, said April. Equal opportunity, said Loretta. Men should be allowed to be tattooed ladies, too. Are they going to move over, asked Finn. As the car drew closer, they could see that both the passenger and the driver were not looking where they were going. The passenger had a large paper map that he was trying to read, but he kept getting it scrunched and turning it the wrong way. The driver was grabbing at it, trying to see. Who uses paper maps anymore, asked April. Time travellers, suggested Finn. As they watched, the driver snatched the map from the passenger. He tried to snatch it back, and the car veered towards them. "'Get off the road!' exclaimed Joe. He swerved his bicycle across in front of April and Finn, forcing them into a ditch. Vladimir was already on the nature strip nibbling someone's hedge, so he was out of the way. The car drove past. The driver didn't even notice the near accident she'd caused. "'Look where you're going, you drongo!' bellowed April. "'They can't hear you,' said Finn. "'They're in a car.' "'I was talking to Joe,' said April.' The sun was just rising over the clock tower of the town hall as they turned into Main Street. When they arrived at the school, Loretta didn't even bother opening the gate. She just urged Vlad forward, and he leapt over the fence into the flower bed in front of the school office. It was so early in the morning, the gathering of students was still only half awake, so no one even passed comment. Loretta slipped off her horse's bridle, slapped him on the rump with the words, Go and find something nice to eat. Vlad trotted off towards the school's vegetable garden. Where's the bus, asked Finn, as they joined the group of waiting students. The pesky kids were ten minutes late, so they'd assumed the bus would be there already. It's the school bus, said Kieran, as if this fact was explanation enough. So, asked April. It's really old, and they never service it properly, explained Matilda. The local mechanic only really knows how to fix tractors, and the school is too cheap to send it over to Bilgong to be repaired. That's why we only get one excursion a year added it, Animesh. Half the time, the bus never makes it from the shed out onto the road. In the distance, they could hear the guttural groaning of a very old and unhappy diesel engine grinding its way up through the gears. Some of the more awake students cheered. That'll be the bus, said Kieran. Oh, no kidding, Sherlock, said April. The big bus-shaped thing belching smoke as it comes towards us was a bit of a clue. Why is the bus bright pink, asked Finn. The bus wasn't just a normal pink. It was an extraordinary shade of fluorescent pink that hurt your eyes if you looked at it directly for too long. The school bought it years ago, second hand from a Mardi Gras festival, explained Kieran. They'd never had the budget to repaint it, added Matilda. But it worked out well, said Animesh, because when the bus breaks down in the bush, it makes it easy to spot from a helicopter. Eventually, the aging pink bus ground its way to the front of the school and stopped with a shuddering lurch right in front of the gate. The driver put the engine in neutral so it was idling, but the vibration seemed to form some sort of harmonic frequency. The whole bus began to vibrate violently. There was a pneumatic hiss and the doors ratcheted open. Mr. Lang hurried down the steps. He was out of breath. Apparently, driving the bus was a cardiovascular workout. They let Mr. Lang drive, exclaimed April. He can barely handle sitting at a desk. None of the other teachers would volunteer, explained Animesh. Plus, Mr. Lang has a heavy vehicle licence from the time that he drove the tour bus for Metallica, added Matilda. He did what, exclaimed Finn? Mr. Lang was a roadie before he was a guidance counsellor, said Matilda. That's why he has so much patience with people doing stupid things. Right, now everyone, go to the toilet now, barked Mr Lang. With uncharacteristic stern authority, nobody moved. That was not a suggestion, that was an order. This is a two-hour bus trip and I'm not stopping for any reason. Once you step on that bus, there will be no pee stops. This bus is 40 years old and the starter motor hardly works. I'm not turning the engine off any more than I have to. So go and pee now, all of you. The students turned and lethargically started ambling towards the toilet block. The bus was vibrating and shuddering even more violently. ''Hurry up!'' yelled Mr Lang. ''We need to get moving before the bus shakes itself to pieces.'' Twenty minutes later, all their bladders were empty, and they were heading off down Main Street. They were soon passing the Big Potato, Currawong's only tourist attraction. The oversized replica vegetable sat on a plinth on the outskirts of town. Currawong residents tried to forget it was there. It seemed like a good idea 40 years ago when the mayor had suggested building a monument to the town's main food export. But there were no accomplished vegetable sculptors in Currawong. As a result, when the big potato had been built, it didn't really look like a delicious vegetable. The massive brown lump looked more like a giant poop. I hope he knows where he's going, said Finn. He loved maps and geography himself, so he didn't like to see Mr Lang driving without using GPS, sat-nav, or even a compass. Well, it's not hard navigating around here, said Loretta. There's one road in and one road out. You either go east for the city or west for the desert. April glanced at the sun rising behind the bus. Great, we're driving even further away from civilization. Well, that's the end of Chapter 10. Let's push on and read Chapter 11, The Ride. Two hours is a long time in the comfort of your own home, when you're reclining on a sofa, reading your favourite book, or killing your least favourite zombies on a computer game. But two hours on a bus, with lumpy vinyl seats, no air conditioning, no stereo, no DVD, and no cell phone reception is a thousand times worse. Especially when you're crammed into that small, vibrating space with 50 sweaty, smelly teenagers. Every minute felt like a gruelling ordeal. They'd only been driving for 20 minutes and April already felt like she was going insane. Admittedly, she didn't have too good a grip on sanity in the first place, but all the standard things that would give life stability were gone. There was no school, no town, there weren't even any trees as they drove further and further through grazing land with less and less grass to be grazed on and nearer to the desert. There's something about deserts. The absence of anything, including water and reasonable air temperatures, does something to the human soul. It is a great place to have an existential crisis. The native Currawan kids were more used to the absence of anything to look at or do. They amused themselves by playing sticks, a game played with the fingers that is as pointless and irritating as tic-tac-toe. Or playing card games. Reverse strip poker was popular. It's like strip poker, except instead of taking an item of clothing off every time you lose a hand, you put an item of clothing on every time you lose a hand. It's a much better game all round, particularly when played in cold weather. When you played in an unair conditioned bus in the desert, there is a very real risk of heat stroke. But the worst thing was the conversation. The absolute bat guano, inane things people talk about when they've got nothing to do, was just excruciating to overhear. The girls sitting right in front of April were doing a magazine quiz that determined which member of a boy band was their soulmate. Do you prefer a boy with A, lots of muscles, B, some muscles, or C, floppy hair? Asked Nerida, reading from the magazine. Lots of muscles, said Daisy Odin's daughter, looking meaningfully at Joe. I don't care about his hair. I can cut that myself later. The girls giggled. It says you've got a 98% compatibility rating with the drummer, said Nerida, holding the magazine upside down so she could read the results. The girls squealed. Apparently the drummer was dreamy. You know, they're probably all addicted to illegal drugs, said April, or already in long-term relationships with supermodels. The older girls looked over the back of their seat with sneers of contempt. No one asked you, said Nerida. Besides, he's never actually coming to Currawong, continued April. There aren't many pop stars sitting around their mansions thinking, where shall I go on vacation this year? I know, I'll go to a baking hot backwater on the other side of the globe in the middle of nowhere where the only year-round tourist attraction is a giant poo. Just ignore her, said Daisy. They'd been attending school with April for just two months, but already they knew that engaging her in conversation led to an argument. And an argument always led to a fight, and a fight led to being bitten by her dog, and that dog had incredibly sharp teeth. In fact, there was a rumour going around that April sharpened Pumpkin's teeth every night with a nail file. This was not true. Pumpkin sharpened his own teeth on the bones of whatever roadkill he could find in the street. Behind April, Kieran and Anamish were having an even more boring conversation. They were staring out the window, and periodically they would count. Seventeen, said Kieran. The bus rumbled on for a few more minutes. 18, 19, said Animesh. Another couple of minutes later, 20, said Kiran. It wasn't clear what they were counting. April was familiar with road trip games that count the post boxes or count the Volkswagen bugs, but there was nothing like that out in the desert. She couldn't work out the game. 21, added Kieran. All right, I give up, said April. Tell us, what are you counting? Animals, said Kieran. What animals? asked April. There were cattle in the fields, but they'd seen way more than 20. Dead animals, said Animesh. Roadkill. April was horrified. She clutched Pumpkin to her chest. You are making a game out of the vehicular homicide of helpless wild animals? There's a lot of them, said Kiran. Look, there's a wombat with its legs in the air. 22. You are sick, said April. Have you no respect? Not for wombats, no, said Kiran. While April was becoming increasingly miserable, Loretta was having the opposite experience. She was sitting next to Joe, and she was having a delightful time. This is wonderful, exclaimed Loretta, enjoying every bounce and lurch of the decrepit vehicle. Huh? said Joe. It's more thrilling than half the rides at Disneyland, said Loretta. Those rides are just designed to feel unsafe. This bus is genuinely unsafe. You really get that I-might-die-at-any-moment feeling. You're in... this? asked Joe. He was bewildered. The bus was horrible. It was deafeningly loud, hot, rickety, and uncomfortable. It even smelled bad, as if something had died somewhere in the engine and been rotting for three months. I've never been on a bus before, said Loretta. Well, I've been on an air bus, but they're not really buses. They're airplanes. Quite nice ones too, if you're up in first class. Although not as good as the Concorde. We all miss the Concorde. The Concorde was decommissioned in 2003, said Finn. You're not old enough to have flown on it. Loretta laughed. <laughs> Only the public Concorde was decommissioned. There are still a couple flying, if you know the right billionaire. Or, in our family's case, perform open-heart surgery on the right billionaire. Finn glanced at Joe. Sometimes he wondered if Loretta was lying. He knew both her parents were top surgeons, so that there was a sliver of plausibility to it. Joe apparently thought the same thing. He just shrugged. With Loretta, anything was possible. But tell me, asked Loretta, why doesn't the bus have seatbelts? Um, said Joe, buses just d- don't. But what if there's a crash, asked Loretta? I don't know, admitted Joe. We'd just tumble around inside the bus while all the glass was breaking and the metal was being torn up, said Loretta. I guess so, said Joe. That doesn't seem very safe. In fact, it sounds like being inside a giant blender. We'd all be human smoothies, said Loretta. Does no one care for the safety of poor people when they ride on public transport? I'd be glad to be put out of my misery, said April. She was looking very white and clammy. She was gripping the rail on the seat in front of her so tightly her knuckles had gone white as well. There's not enough air on this bus. She started fiddling with her collar and doing an extra button. Hey, you're not going to take your clothes off, are you? Asked Finn in alarm. His sister was embarrassing at the best of times but that was when she was fully clothed. Naked, she'd be even worse. We're all suffocating on this bus, said April. Her breathing was becoming laboured. There's not enough air. Too many people and not enough air. The windows are open, Joe pointed out. The main windows didn't open, no doubt to prevent people jumping out, but there were smaller windows above them and they pushed out at an angle and they were open all the way down the bus. They're not letting in enough air, complained April. Stop the bus! She leapt to her feet. Pumpkin did too and started barking wildly. No stops! snapped Mr. Lang, glancing at April in his rearview mirror. Sit back down! I want to get off! cried April. Sit down, young lady! ordered Mr. Lang. You can't make me! said April desperately, striding down the aisle of the bus. I'm getting off! She grabbed the front door and shook it. Sit down, said Mr Lang. The bus swerved on the potholed road. Don't distract me when I'm driving. The door won't open. We're trapped, wailed April. That's because the bus is moving, exclaimed Mr Lang. It's designed that way. I'm getting off, cried April. She ran back down the bus. I knew the pesky kids were crazy, said Matilda. Look at her. She's bananas. That's not very polite, said Loretta. Why do you associate bananas with mental illness? They're a perfectly delicious fruit full of potassium and fibre. April stopped in the middle of the bus and looked up. There was a skylight. She jumped up, grabbed the luggage rack and stood up on the back of the seat. "'You're stepping on my pigtail!' complained Matilda. "'Then move your hair!' yelled April. "'Why anyone over the age of five would have pigtails is beyond me anyway. "'Isn't one ponytail enough? "'Are you trying to look like an infant so that people don't realise you're evil?' "'April used her free hand to pound the skylight with her fist. "'What are you doing?' asked Finn. "'She's getting off,' said Loretta. "'She's been very clear and consistent on that point.' "'Sir, April's being disruptive!' Matilda called out to Mr. Lang. Sit down, pesky, snapped Mr. Lang. April ignored him and kept hitting the skylight. April, are you having a panic attack? Asked Loretta kindly. She really did enjoy having April as a sister. She had never been lonely as an early child, but she was undoubtedly having so much more fun since the pesky kids had moved in next door. If Loretta had ever dreamed of being part of a larger family, it would have been one like the Peskys. They were loud, chaotic, angry and accident-prone. She loved them. So when April was distressed, Loretta was genuinely concerned. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's very common for celebrities and high-powered executives to get panic attacks because of the pressure of their jobs. But if you are having a panic attack, you should probably try to understand that your brain is telling you irrational things and you're not really going to die of lack of oxygen. Yeah, if we're going to die, it'll be because of lack of seat belts," said Finn. Get back to your seat, bellowed Mr Lang from the front of the bus. April grabbed the luggage rack with both hands, braced with her foot, and swung her other leg up to kick the skylight hard. The latch sprang open and the skylight flipped back. Matilda screamed, Ah! Oh, wow, she did it, said Loretta, impressed. Neil was quick off the mark. Neil was the cat lady's grandson. He was an unremarkable, stoic, potato headed boy, but he did have one extraordinary feature he was deeply in love with April. Unfortunately for him, April was too angry to have noticed. This was what he'd been waiting for, a chance to rescue her. Neil climbed up onto the seat Matilda was sitting on, much to the horror of Matilda, who scooted out of the way, squashing Finn into the window. Neil stretched up and tried to grab the back of April's sweater vest, but he wasn't tall enough. Come on, April, said Joe. you're going to get hurt. I'd rather die than spend another second on this death trap, announced April. She used her freakishly strong arms to brace herself as she slid her legs out through the hole in the ceiling. Negotiation was clearly not going to work, Joe realised he couldn't ignore the escalating situation any longer. He had to do something. Joe squeezed past Loretta, jumped up, and grabbed April by the waist, pulling her legs back into the bus. "'Let go!' cried April, still hanging onto the luggage rack with her hands, so her legs swung back and forth. Joe swung with them, lost his grip, and landed on Loretta's lap. "'Whew!' said Loretta. Joe had been able to grab hold of the seat back to take most of his weight, so Loretta wasn't hurt." This bus riding is way more exciting than I imagined. All of a sudden, there was a screeching of brakes and the bus lurched to a halt. Several students smacked their heads on the back of the seats in front of them. April lost her grip on the skylight and collapsed in a heap in the aisle. We're here, announced Mr Lang, opening the bus door with a pneumatic kiss. He bounced down the steps and out into the desert. Joe, Finn and Loretta looked out the window they were in the middle of nowhere. The bus had pulled up in a flat dirt area that was apparently supposed to be a car park. The red dirt was broken by a few tufts of grass and rock. It would have been unremarkable if it were not for the surreal fact that randomly placed about this desolate landscape were lots of great big dinosaurs. It didn't look like any sort of organised theme park, just as if someone had 27 huge dinosaur statues that they'd abandoned in the desert. Then, in a token attempt to make it look official, they'd put in a litter bin, a street lamp, and a tired old picnic table. And that is the end of the chapter, so we'll leave it there, and until next time, goodbye.